it's tough because everyone kind of says the same thing and I'm sure everyone's even said this and it's just kind of like if you're thinking about doing it just go out and do it I just feel like everyone always comes up with excuses and they say I'm going to start it next month or I'm going to start it once I have this or once I have this camera then I can finally do YouTube yeah I mean everyone says the same thing just go out and do it and who knows what can happen right like I had no idea I would be here four years ago Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Lee Zavitz. Lee is a photographer, cinematographer, and YouTuber that has been able to balance all three of those things in his career. Over the last four years, he's grown his YouTube channel and his Instagram following, as well as grow his cinematography reel and work on some pretty high-end productions. Lee's YouTube channel has well over 100,000 subscribers, and he remains consistent posting on there, as well as on his Instagram account, where he does a lot of portrait photography work. Let's just cut straight to the chase today and get straight to my conversation with Lee. All right, so we're here with Lee Zavitz all the way out in uh, Canada. How's it going, man? What's up all the way in, in the north? Yeah, man, where, where exactly are you in uh, Canada again? Um, I just live outside Toronto, so I basically say I'm from Toronto. Sweet. Yeah, how's, how are things over there right now during uh, this pandemic? Uh... It's, it was weird. I mean, it, it's still kind of weird when you go out in public and see people, but it's it's gotten a lot better. Like, things are starting to open up. They, they tried to open things up in phases, so like phase one, phase two. I think it's similar in the States. Mm. Um, they finally just passed phase two, which was kind of a big deal because that allowed a lot of people like myself to kind of start getting back to work. And even though we have to right. work in these tiny crews now, at least we can we can still work, right? So it's it's weird, it's different, but it's it's it is what it is, right? Yeah, I saw some uh, images on your Instagram, I believe, recently about maybe a music video or something that you were shooting. Is that right? Yeah. So it's actually been crazy. Like when June hit, we started getting actually some some work come in, and I didn't expect things to kind of start ramping up so fast. But I guess you know, there's all these artists. Like I work with a lot of musicians and stuff, and we have. Um, we work with labels and stuff, so they're, they've been itching to get back to making stuff because, you know, they've had mm-hmm. three or four months off. Um, working in this environment's different, like wearing masks and small crews and I have to carry a lot more weight now on like a lot more is on my shoulders compared to, you know, working with a bigger crew. I'm now yeah. a PA plus DP, <laughs> but I don't care. Yeah. I'm just glad to be back to work. Yeah, totally. I was just talking to my friend Jevin Dovey, who's in the same situation. He just did like a three-day shoot and normally has a crew and he's having to just do everything himself. He's like so exhausted. It's I've been hearing that a lot. Guys are just going out and kind of one-man banding it, you know, right now. Yeah, 100%. The last last shoot of the last week, um, typically you'd have like a grip or something on set. We can't have that. So we had like just a director, me and a PA, and we had to rig lights into the ceiling of this warehouse. And, you know, it's like 30 feet in the air. I had to take extension ladders up and like rig lights and bring <laughs> them down and stuff. And it's like, typically I wouldn't be doing that because, you know, it's just, it's a grip's job, right? So I'm <laughs> up in the ceiling, hanging lights off a extension ladder, doing stuff. And, <laughs> and then I'm thinking about it after I'm like, I'm going to have to take all this back down when we're done. <laughs> after like a 14 hour day of shooting. So 
PAs and grips are are super helpful when you know they don't really get as much credit as they should some days. But when you have yeah. to do all that stuff on top of the filming and stuff, it's it's a long day. So a lot of people know you as Lee Zavitz or as you used to be called Zed Pro Media on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. But you also are a freelance shooter as well. I mean, obviously, we're just talking about music video stuff. So tell me about, you know, what what is it that you do? It sounds like you kind of have your hands in a lot of things. Yeah, it's... I don't even know where to begin, to be honest. Because <laughs> you're also a talented musician as well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could almost start there because um, being in music and being in a band and stuff like back in the old days, that's kind of where I've like learned to do like media stuff, right? Video and web, web design and photography and all these things, because, you know, you kind of are running a small company when you're running a band. Right. And so I learned a lot of these stuff, like most of this stuff just self-taught because the band needed stuff, right. Need photo shoots, videos and stuff like that. Um, but I would say that like photography was like, more of a passion that turned into like a job, which was crazy because it's, it's tough. It's, it's a tough world to get into, but yeah. So like I, I consider myself a photographer and a DP because I do a lot of film work, but you know, photography is still like a, a big part of what I do as well. I do a lot of portrait photography and portrait photography is a big part of uh, my business, but not, not as of late. I feel like I've done a lot more video work, which is which is fine. I enjoy photography a little bit more though. Just it's it's easier. It's fun just to go out and shoot, you know. But yeah, I would. I, I don't know. And then there's YouTube on top of that, so it's like <laughs> it's a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, yeah, your YouTube channel really grew based on uh, photography related tutorials mm-hmm. and uh, camera tests. Um, but obviously, you have a great skill in video as well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's an amazing trait that you have. You're just a, an artist and, and an entrepreneur. You're able to kind of balance all these different things. And um, I'm finding that a lot of people in this industry um, sometimes just have a lot of artistic skills. I mean, I've been picking up the guitar again recently and have just been loving getting into music again with my parodies. And it is completely awesome. different, but it's also the same, right? Like, just being a, a creative in general, it can be painting, it could be music, video, photography, whatever. Mm-hmm. I haven't played guitar in forever. <laughs> I just feel like there's so much going on. I, I see it sitting there. I I see it sitting there in a case and getting what dust kind of on it. What guitar is it? Uh, I have a couple different guitars, but the one that I would pick up is just my acoustic. I have a Taylor. Oh, um, wow. But it's just... The thing's, it's just... You know, the thing that's great about guitars... This is a total tangent, but guitars hold their value compared to oh, yeah. um, cameras. In fact, sometimes if you like a Taylor or a Gibson, a USA made one, like those things go up in value. Yeah, because they get more rare the older they are, right? And it, it's kind of weird, but it's it's kind of like one of those they don't make them like they used to type things. So it's like people tend to love older stuff just because it has this warmer tone to it versus mm-hmm. like the clinical perfect sound that you would get on the yeah. new stuff. And it's it's the same for lenses, really. Same kind of yeah. thing for lenses. Yeah, like an old Leica uh, or, you know, just old contact Zeiss 
glass you know it just has sure. has a look to it and a smoothness and it's not perfect but those imperfections are what make it beautiful so 100%. same is true for guitar players <laughs> yeah. um so i mean how how did we meet each other did we actually meet in person or did we just kind of become friends on the internet and then and then eventually met in person i don't remember i say i say this about everyone that i meet through youtube it's like how how and where did this like friendship happen? Um, <laughs> it's, it's weird, man. Like it, I think it's just probably the community, like being like commenting yeah. on videos, whatever, somehow yeah, I comment slack, on your videos, see me, see me true. Yeah. We started that, but yeah, I don't remember, I don't know, man. Did I, you, did you go to VidCon or NAB or anything? Uh, I went to VidCon a long time ago, but you probably wouldn't have been there for that. That was like 2013. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, I guess we um, just became friends yeah. online. I, I started watching your content a couple years ago, commenting, um, following each other on Twitter and stuff. And then about a year ago, you came out here and we hung out and did a shoot together with Connor. And um, I guess that's, you know, I guess that's it. It feels like we know each other more than that for some reason, but it's just because the internet. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that like we all have like a similar goals and hobbies and passions in life. It's kind of easy to connect with people, and that the community, this whole camera, yeah. video, filmmaking community is amazing. It really is. We're super. Lucky I haven't met anyone that. Yeah, I haven't met anyone yet that's been like drama alert. <laughs> there isn't any drama really. Like I think uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, somebody was tweeting about you know the makeup community on youtube and how they're having some yeah. high drama right now and it's like come on guys we gotta step it up we need we need to fight some drama and then gerald was like yeah i gotta i gotta deal with uh big purple the big purple industry um <laughs> you know they're paying me a lot of money but it's like yeah there's there's really no conspiracies or weird drama going on and nobody's talking crap on anybody <laughs> i think it's all because we're all nerds yeah <laughs> Bunch of we were always too. kind of outcasts right yeah, so we don't want to put each other down because we're all part of the same nerddom. So, <laughs> um, but let's start with uh, with your YouTube channel. Um, you know, when did you start your YouTube channel, and when did you start taking it seriously? So I started it. I, I think I, I I grabbed the name a long time ago, and I started posting like um, little tutorials on like Photoshop and stuff like that. Um, and then I, this is super outside of filmmaking and photography and the, the niche that it is now, but I decided I wanted to build a water cooled computer and this is like <laughs> custom, custom water cooled. So I had like bent pipes and like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm going to document this every step of the way just to be like, I did this. It's crazy. And, Cause I've always been into building computers and stuff like that, but this was like, the crazy step of putting water blocks on and bending tubes and stuff like that. So if you go back in my channel, like to the beginning, uh, I guess it was like early 2016, I had a whole build log. There was like 15 videos step-by-step step of me building this water cool computer. And I started gaining a lot of subscribers from that, which I didn't <laughs> even expect. Cause I was like, this is just for me. I just want to have this so that 20 years from now I go, look what I did back then. I was smart enough to figure out how to do this. And uh, the problem is it became almost like a tutorial video, which I didn't really want it to be, but I think maybe just instinctively I have this like teacher mentality. So I'm like, this yeah. is how I'm doing this. And this is how you could perfect doing this. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I had like two cameras going and stuff back then. I think I had the A7R2 or something like that. So it was a so little like overkill. Dual for cameras, like shooting everything in 4K, and it was just like I had lights up yeah. and stuff because I was already doing video and photography stuff as my job, right? So I had all the gear. Um, yeah. And then I think I was trying to upgrade to something else. I think it was like the Sony A6300. And uh, my roommate at the time was like, I've talked to him about camera gear all the time. I'm like, oh, check out this new thing. Like this, you know, this thing can shoot 4K video or whatever. And he was like, I, I, why don't you just start a gear channel and talk about stuff? Because I don't really care. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> okay. So I made a review. <laughs> I think I made a review on the A6300, which uh-huh. when I look back at it now, it's cringy. But I think in the first week it got like 10,000 views. And I was like, holy crap. Like this is, wow, this is legit. Like for a channel that only had like, you know, I maybe had 50 or 60 subscribers at the time to get 10,000 views and maybe a thousand subscribers that month was huge. So that's yeah. when I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe I continue this path. And I started making other videos about the A6300 and comparing it to like A6000 and things I had at the time. Uh-huh. And again, the views just kept coming in. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this more seriously. Then I'm going to start doing, you know, maybe one or two videos a month and you know, people would ask me questions and I'd help them out. And I really love like answering questions and helping people out because my experience or whatever. And it kind of just grew from that. Now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Started but, from the bottom. Yeah. Now we're here. Yeah. And your kind of first, was it your, your content? Was it always kind of focused on Sony, Fuji kind of cameras, even from the beginning? Um. So yeah, a lot of people would describe me as a Fuji guy because <laughs> um, back when I was shooting with Canon and Sony, so I love Canon, but their video features lacked at the time. So I started going to Sony because it had 1080p, 60 frames per second, and they also had 4K. But I didn't really enjoy those cameras at the time. Like, you know, the A6300 is this little boxy, small camera, not comfortable mm-hmm. to shoot with. The A7R2 I had at the time didn't really have the best autofocus. So I was like kind of on the hunt for something else at the time because Canon still was just 5D Mark III. Uh, They didn't really have anything crazy out there for for video and stuff. So that's when I kind of landed on Fuji. And I think Fuji is really what launched the channel, I would say, like big time because it was my search for you know the best setup so i was buying all these lenses i bought you know an x pro 2 xt2 all these cameras and i kind of phased out sony and canon and just went full on fuji at the time and fuji really didn't really have that big of a following back in 2016 it's crazy where they're at now but back then you know fuji was just kind of like the underdog they made the hipster cameras and so um i made a ton of reviews and videos on lenses and tips and tricks and firmware update videos and stuff on all these Fuji cameras and the channel. Like, I I guess that was near the end of 2016. I'm not sure, but it was, I had 10,000 subscribers by the end of the year of my first year of really taking it serious. And that's probably the, well, we always say the first thousand is the hardest and then Mm. 10,000 is the next hardest. And, um, to the first thousand, I'd agree. And then the, to 10,000. I think it's all dependent on timing for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just the timing that I started making those videos. So, um, yeah, 
So yeah, it's been mostly Sony and Fuji. I I shoot with Sony now, but <sighs> looking at this R5, Canon... this Canon R5 coming up. <laughs> you got up. the C200, don't you? Yeah, so <laughs> this is where it's hard to, t- to split what I do because, um, you know, I, I talk about the consumer stuff and the photography side of stuff, but I rarely talk about the video stuff because I've kind of made like molded my channel around the photography, right? But yeah, I have a C200 and uh, a full <laughs> set of vintage lenses and yeah. I have, you know, gimbals and nucleus folly focuses and stuff like that. I, ha- I have the whole setup for shooting video, but... Um, yeah, so I'm I'm it's it's tough because I have this whole like Canon setup. I also have a 5D Mark IV with lenses, tons of Canon glass still, and then I have this Sony stuff. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, if this R5 comes out and it's not insanely out of my price range, where I have to you know sell both my kidneys, <laughs> then I might switch back to Canon. I'm not sure because it'd be nice to be all in on one lens setup, right? I know that takes an RF lens, but having the adapter allows me to use my old lenses, right? Yeah, totally. And the you don't lose anything with the autofocus performance because it's Canon to Canon. It's not, yeah, you know, cross platform. So those are we allowed those, to talk about uh, rumors? Right? Are we allowed to talk about rumors on this uh, podcast? Yeah, talk about anything. Yeah. You see that Sony A7S three rumor about the EVF? Yes, that's very interesting. So today uh, on Sony Alpha Rumors, Sony announced, uh, or it was confirmed by Sony Alpha Rumors. I guess he has one or he knows somebody that has one. It's got the highest EVF resolution ever, 9 point something million dots, which is crazy. Yeah, 9.4, which is crazy. Um, I don't know how many people shooting video care that much about the EVF, but who knows? I don't care at all. I, the A7 III's resolution on that give, EVF is way worse than the R, and I I don't care. Yeah, give me give me that into a a screen. Give me the let me let the screen look like that. <laughs> that is a weird feature so to also, just throw in there. It's like, hey, we'll we'll add this on here. They'll love this. It's like, well, <clears> I guess I'm like, <laughs> well, I'll take it. I'll take but it. But yeah, there's I mean, there's also that that too. Like, do I stay with Sony? Is the A7S 3 going to be equally as good? <laughs> mm, yes and no. I I bet they'll I I'm I'm pretty sure it's not going to have 8K. It'll probably do 6K. It might have a better Venice color science. Uh I'll take that. If it has a flip out screen on it. Yeah, I mean it could be it could be pretty uh close at this point in terms of uh specs. I doubt it will. What's, I doubt it'll do the, raw uh, internal. It might do ProRes raw out of the HDMI, which I would take July over. 9th, right? I would take that over um, the Canon raw because the Canon raw is just not usable in the R5. Because the one, the one oh, DX three, yeah, the one DX Mark three is a good example of what we're gonna see with the R5, and it's just terrible to work with. You have to convert it and do all this crazy stuff and the files are huge it's just not practical so pro is raw with a ninja 5 you know that's easy and it looks great yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be uh (laughs) we went on we went on quite a tangent here but i think no it's july 9th (laughs) july 9th we'll find out because that's the day they're supposed to be announcing the r5 
Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I, I need to prepare myself for that for the YouTube videos. <laughs> prepare yourself and your wallet. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, you know, with your YouTube channel being kind of the Fuji expert, what was that like? It did, was there pros and cons to that? I'm, I'm sure, you know, you get access to Fuji stuff after a while. Fuji might have, did Fuji eventually get a hold of you and now you're kind of on their short list of people to, that they contact for reviews? Yeah, there's, but then also you get pigeonholed into being the Fuji guy. There's pros and cons. I have a little bit of a history with Fuji that didn't start out too well, but it's it's good now. They're awesome to work with. Uh, great people there. Um, if you know, if if I want, I can contact them and ask them if they want like to send me stuff for review or whatever like that. But they usually contact me when there's new stuff. Um, again, I don't really want to be considered that anymore because I don't personally shoot with it. Um, yeah, which it, it's weird because people every day are like, don't you shoot with Fuji? And I'm like, I haven't owned a Fuji in two years. Um, it's just because they keep sending me stuff to review and I'm shooting with it, right? But um, yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's kind of like if you were called the Canon guy and you wanted to shoot with something else, then you feel like you're betraying your followers, right? And that's kind of what I felt like. I never made the, one of those videos, you know, that I switched from this to this. You know how people make those videos. I switched from Canon to Sony. I yeah. switched from Sony to Fuji or whatever. I never made a video saying I switched from Fuji to Sony. I just kind of let it happen. So my uh-huh. videos started more turning over to Sony because that's what I enjoy shooting with right now. So, yeah, it's 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 still cool. Like People come to me and ask me questions all the time because I have the experience with the cameras, right? It's just I don't personally shoot with them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're doing freelance on the side along with photography and YouTube. So what is what does that look like when it comes to just business? Like how do you balance all these different things and do you have to have one or the other? Have you decided that you don't want to go full-time YouTube so that's why you do the freelance or is it literally like you're just kind of taking as much work as you can? Is there thought involved in that? It's... Do you try to split it on purpose or Yeah, it's tough like as much most people would enjoy just going full-time YouTube and kind of dropping the the grind like the work the workload but I still love getting out there and shooting I you know I love being on set I love you know just being around that environment even though it's a lot of work I can't see myself dropping it 100% just to do YouTube there's also a money aspect to it as well where but you know there's there's a whole aspect the the whole thing too. Like if you put more time into YouTube, maybe you'll make more money doing that. I, I don't know. I, I also like the fact that I'm still doing stuff and I can bring my experience to YouTube. So I'm not just a guy talking about camera gear and you know, like here's a C200 and talking about all the features, but don't have the experience to back up set life and using it on set and stuff like that. So I I mean, it's fine. Like there's, different ways of approaching videos and how you review things. But I love to review things based off my experience using it out in the field. And then I can bring that back, whether I have the permission to use footage or behind the scenes stuff and and try and put that into my videos. Because then I feel like you've kind of gained the trust from people that you really know what you're talking about because you actually used it. So that's kind of why I don't, I don't think I would quit doing freelance for YouTube stuff. I love that. 
Yeah, I, I remember vividly there's a great review you did of the Zion Crane, and it had all these great shots of this music video that you shot using it, and you're able to speak to your experience, you know, shooting the music video. And it you would if you were only a YouTuber, you wouldn't have the access or, you know, I guess you could try to do like a fake music video, but um, yeah, having there's the, lots of ways of doing it. Having that budget, like you're using someone else's budget to shoot obviously their music video, but then it makes the quality of your YouTube content better because you're kind of riding off of the budget that you had for the music video. <laughs> yeah, that, that particular video was actually sponsored by Zayim. So oh, okay. they pitched in, they pitched in um, the budget to create the music video. So I didn't nice. personally get paid, but the budget paid for the music video. Um, and the artist knew that this video was being paid for, but it was also kind of a review slash, yeah. I wouldn't really call it an ad, but yeah, it was, no, it's, an ad. it's yeah. a sponsored video. It was, right. I, I approached them with the idea actually, to be honest. And because they wanted to do some kind of sponsored content and I was like, listen, I've always wanted to do this type of thing. Would you guys be willing to work with me on that? And, and they were cool with that. So I think it worked out well. I'd like to do more of that kind of stuff. Um, it's a lot of pressure though, because you, you're not sure like if things are going to work out and <laughs> how well it's going to be perceived. But it, it turned out really good. So, yeah, and I think that it kind of shows people that okay, this can be used in this type of environment where they might not have actually seen it being used in that type of environment. Totally. So when you're talking about pressure, is that something that that you struggle with when you're dealing with brands and stuff like that? Just kind of the the pressure of uh, yeah, there's always there's always a little bit of underlying anxiety when you do a brand spot because I don't uh, it's it's tough because you don't know what the expectations are what they're expecting versus what you're delivering yeah. because it's one of those things where some brands will have you know a specific list of things they want to see some are just like do whatever you want the ones that say do whatever you want you have that freedom, but it's also the the fear of like, I hope this is what they want, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so doing the list of things is almost easier, but the problem is it ends, ends up being pretty cookie cutter, especially if other YouTubers are doing the exact same type of review, you know? Yeah, let's talk about the uh, the YouTube game that you and I are, are prevy to. You get, say you, you get a product early, um, you have to sign a NDA or at least agree to one. Uh, it comes out in a couple days or whatever. And it's like, you know that all your friends probably have them. Uh, <laughs> you can maybe like, I <laughs> think in the past, you know, it might like say little hints towards each other. Like, so on this date, uh, you got a video? It's like, yep, <laughs> you know. It's trying not to breach the contract, but breach it, it or like? also make make the other YouTuber uh, jealous jealous <laughs> if they didn't get it. <laughs> but the thing is, um, what's... it's hard to say whether you really want to be jealous over having the same thing that everyone else is putting out <laughs> at the same time. Well, that's what I'm getting to. Is like what I think a couple years ago, this whole landscape was was different. If you had early access like that, it was like one of three or four people but now it's like 
you know, for example, the ZV-1, the Sony ZV-1 came out last month. Yeah, that was and that was nuts. I think every single YouTuber had it. Had it. <laughs> it seemed like it was like a hundred videos, and not even in our niche too. I I noticed like if you just search Sony ZV-1, like uh, they were giving it to you know makeup tutorial people and uh, musicians and like you know anybody on YouTube because it's a YouTuber camera, so it makes sense. Like that's the market. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they went still, nuts with that one. What do you think about just that whole game and like, does it work? Does it stress you out? You want to keep so doing there's, it? <laughs> there's kind of two sides of it. There's the the viewer side of it. Do you do I feel bad? Do like do you feel <laughs> bad that they're getting bombarded with so much stuff? But there's also the marketing side of it, which is genius because it costs them literally nothing to send out a bunch of cameras and you know that we're going to make content on it because that's what we do, right? So we're given all this stuff to make content and, you know, we're just blasting out all these videos, filling everybody's feeds. And although it's great for us because we get the content, part of me feels bad <laughs> because you know that, you know, this guy probably subscribed to all the camera channels or at least most of them and they all just get hammered with the same video. And so... Yeah. It's tough because it, it, I think it should be a little bit more selective. I don't know if they should have gave it out to that many people. Um, that particular <laughs> camera anyway. Most most of the time they don't go that crazy with it. But for that camera, they, they gave it out to everybody. And uh, I always thought it was going to like to get to that point where a camera company would send me something early to shoot and review. I just thought it was really cool. And now that it's happened a bunch of times, it's kind of lost its magic spark because you know that other people are in the same position and what do you do you think it like i was looking at the view count on everybody's videos i was just from an analytical standpoint and it looked like because it was so diluted even the bigger channels like i justine and iphone do and you know the people who usually get you know several hundred thousand if not a million views on a video like that they were getting significantly less than normal mm -hmm. Because I think just everybody had it. What was the performance on yeah. on your video? Was it average or was it, it didn't, more than yeah, normal? It didn't, yeah, it didn't do that well. And I think that's the problem. It was definitely diluted. Um, there's just so much. And it's like once you've watched a couple, you've kind of seen it all, right? Yeah. That's where like now, you know, it's been a month later. If I'm actually going to make my review of it now. And it's, mm -hmm. I've had it for a couple of days or I've had it for over a week now. I really like it. I, I have some thoughts, you know, I'm going to do a proper review and, uh, I think there's still value in that too. Like Caleb Pike, for example, he'll wait a long time to yep. post a review of something. Yeah. I was talking to someone about this the other day. Um, one of my buddies, he was like, do you, would you rather jump in on the hype, get a review out soon with little experience with it or use the thing for a month or two and then come in late and put out a review that has way more, you know, real world experience. And I told him I'd rather do the second one. But the problem is when you're sent something with an NDA and you only have a week to make a review, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, I guess you could say, no, I don't want to do it. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I tend to review stuff after a period of time of use typically unless it's sent to me early right yeah i think 
maybe we should so look at it there differently. Is, there is value. There is value. I think from a consumer standpoint, it's definitely way more valuable to watch a review that comes out late. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And peop- the person who does the review does a very extensive, you know, review on it. I mean, Gerald Undone is the exception, right? Like he'll get stuff in DA and then it's still a 40 minute long in-depth <laughs> <laughs> analysis of the camera. So... <laughs> The thing is, though, like we see all that stuff in our heads and while yeah. we're using it, but I'm just like, do I really need to talk about that? Where Gerald's like, yes, I need to talk about that. <laughs> so he's a monster. Um, yeah. So um, iPad, that's, uh, there's a couple of videos on your channel that have done really well about the iPad workflow. Do you use an iPad? And if not, uh, you know, what have you kind of learned through your journey through? iPad workflow life. Yeah, so I picked up an iPad Pro end of I've I've kind of always had an iPad, but I I typically use it and then I don't use it after a while. But this newest iPad Pro has been amazing. And I I'm not gonna lie, like I will use the iPad for touch up, but it's more just like one off photos for like Instagram or, you know, little things here and there. I would never use it as a full desktop replacement. Like if I had a batch, like I'd done a full shoot that was like, you know, six hour day and you know, you got thousands of photos to go through. It's just not doable. Like the workflow is way too slow. Yeah. So I still think it makes sense to use a computer for that type of thing. But I think for, you know, playing around and doing stuff for Instagram or one offs or, you know, one or say you take a couple of shots and import them to iPad and, and, you know, do some editing or whatever. It's, it's good for that. Um, LumaFusion um, has been pretty good. I did a lot of LumaFusion tutorials like right from the beginning when LumaFusion first came out. And uh, now that it has keyboard and mouse support, it's it's a potential contender to be a laptop replacement for that type of thing. But again, it comes down to the workflow. And until Apple allows us to work straight off a SSD or work off an external hard drive where we don't need to transfer the file straight to the iPad, it's going to be tough to really take it super serious because that transfer to the iPad is kind of annoying. And I'm sure you've probably experienced that as well, but LumaFusion is super powerful. It runs amazing. And now that we have keyboard and mouse support, it's, it's super easy to edit on. Um, there's obviously going to be that final cut replacement coming, I think, because of this new uh, Apple Silicon coming out. Yeah. Um I don't know if, I'm sure you're probably excited about that. Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a big Final Cut. Do you you don't do you edit in Final Cut on your computer? I I no, I don't. I use Premiere. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about iPad Final Cut. Um however, I do think that uh, this whole Apple silicon thing is more exciting than what this is going to bring to the iPad cuz I think the reason why I'm attracted to the iPad is because of the Apple chip that's inside of it in general Mm -hmm. so imagine what you know a macbook pro with apple silicon that either has a fan built into it or is fanless but still just has more heat heat distribution and uh beefier processing power like imagine what that can what that can do so i'm more excited about that because i prefer the laptop over an ipad still yeah it's just it's going to be that full control software control over every aspect of that chip, which I feel like they aren't really doing with Intel. It's like 
I feel like these Intel chips are super powerful, but like the software isn't fully utilizing it. It's kind of like, you know, you get this crazy, whatever the, the laptops are got like eight cores now. Yeah. Um, but I feel like a lot of it's just going underused and just turned into heat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So these exactly. new chips are super efficient, designed specifically for Apple hardware. Apple software will now completely work with this, like being able to turn cores on and off. And, you know, there's, what is it, like eight cores or something inside them? They never even talk about how many cores they have. It's just There's like four <laughs> GPU cores and eight CPU cores. But it's going to be pretty interesting to see. I, I guess the, they're saying in, something's going to be out this year. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. I have a feeling that the first one will be um, probably like a MacBook or something kind of more yeah. consumer. And then we'll start to see maybe an iMac or a MacBook Pro soon. But but yeah, it's going to be we'll crazy see to see what they come out with for like the big dogs. Like the, are they going to come out with a Apple Silicon yeah. Mac Pro? Like, is it going to be? Absolutely. I think they will. More powerful than Xeon, you know? Well, the Mac Pro yeah, just kind of got it got it came out last year, right? So uh, yeah. there's no way that they weren't already aware yeah. of the direction they had it in heading. the pipes. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's real exciting. Like, imagine what if if one if a thousand dollar iPad Pro base model iPad Pro can do what it can do with LumaFusion. Imagine what a ten thousand dollar Mac Pro could do it's plugged into the yeah, wall and they might even they might even rock and... dual cpus yeah drop two of those in there and there you go and then like like you said like it's doesn't really need much cooling if they throw a fan on it then who knows what they can do because these ipads are running all this stuff without any fans barely any like heat dissipation like if i'm running lumifusion on my ipad it barely gets hot it's crazy yeah, it really is the future is is uh bright <laughs> yeah man i'm excited um let's see um so yeah but like your your ipad videos though performed really well on your channel what what did you learn from from doing that type of content uh, i've learned that anything related to apple products does well <laughs> <laughs> i have computer upgrade video my my most viewed video has like 1.6 million views and it's me just upgrading the ram and ssd and an old macbook pro <laughs> what that's crazy yeah. yeah and then i have like a mac pro upgrade video as well that's probably approaching something close to a million as well that's so it's insane. like for me that's huge um that is huge <laughs> and it's tough because i i don't really like everything everything on my channel is kind of based around video and photography so when i do these computer upgrades i approach it from like a, this is what i can render now this is what i can edit and stuff like that so it always ends that way like it it's it isn't just like upgrade this so you can have more speed it's more of like i built this thing i upgraded this thing to transcode footage and that's the whole reason why i put this video out so it's tough because i get a lot of people that probably subscribe for that type of content and then i don't follow up with more computer upgrade videos so it's <laughs> it's tough it's tough maybe you should do yeah, one anything month, anything related least, you know anything related to the ipad does really well as well and and iphone it's crazy. It's, it, I mean, it's Airplane an Apple there. world, I guess. Um, so when it comes to photography stuff, you, this is another topic we haven't even covered. We've talked about your freelance video stuff, your YouTube stuff, but you're also a really skilled photographer. Um, you've got two Instagram accounts, one that's like 
kind of your your personal and then one where it's really like your portfolio um tell me about your photography uh journey as a photographer so going back to the instagram accounts i kind of dropped the other one because it's too hard to look after two accounts so i'm not just looking after my main okay. personal one and and so I'll, I'll post typically just like the highest quality content i can post so i won't really post pictures of cameras it's more just like the output of what i'm created so if it's screenshots from music videos or portrait photography it's it's mainly based around the portrait photography but my instagram stories will be like behind the scenes on set and stuff like that so um yeah so what were you saying about my story photography story <laughs> right yeah well i mean like there's a lot of great portraiture work that you've done how did you get into it how did you get involved and in, uh you know if somebody's interested in doing that style of photography you know what kind of yeah so this goes back to like what I was talking about with the band stuff, um, trying to do like band photo shoots and stuff like that. Um, I shot film in high school because digital cameras weren't really big back then, early 2000s. And so I learned photography from that point of view, like the, the dirty, nitty gritty controls, like developing film and, and learning manual controls on a camera. And so that has always been kind of, part of me even though I didn't really take it as serious as I should have and mm -hmm. so you know when when I got doing band stuff out of high school we started doing little photo shoots here and there and then that progressed into um, even me just doing some photography for other artists and stuff like that and I really enjoyed shooting portraits just working with people and and then obviously eventually getting to the point where you're almost doing directing you're you know do, helping with posing and stuff like that and I love that interaction and just being able to create stuff and get really creative with it. And so it kind of started there and then it just progressed into people hiring me to shoot for them and stuff like that. And when you, when you're talking about working with different models and stuff, how does that work? Do you, do you still kind of reach out to people just to get some content or? Um... Well, yeah, it's so like I was saying, it's, I've been doing a lot more video work lately. So anything that's kind of related to photography right now, I've had a couple jobs come in, but most of the stuff is just for collaboration and just for Instagram. Um, so whether a, a model hits me up or I contact them to test some new lens for YouTube or whatever, um, it's just kind of sharing. They get the files out of it and I get the content out of it as well. So it's just kind of a mutual sharing of the content, which is really cool because um, I need stuff for Instagram. They need stuff for Instagram, but then I can also make a review video or a vlog or whatever and have that for YouTube as well. And I that's noticed, kind of like, all when you, where it's kind of headed right now. Yeah. I noticed when you would travel back when we were allowed to travel, you know, usually you would, it seems like you would hit up local people and try to, you know, get some shoots out of wherever you're visiting for work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, it's a smart way to smart way to kind of, get some extra content you know it's it's nice to have other people than yourself in the in the demos and the reviews uh yeah you know yeah no so one wants just, to look at me well i'm same here though it's like it's the same shots over and over back when connor was working with me i loved having him involved because it was just a different face rather than my own you know mm -hmm. so um 
It's a really great way. What to allows work. you to get more? It allows you to get more creative too, because now you're behind the camera, mm-hmm. and you're not in front of it. So, yeah, I think it's kind of necessary hard. too. Yeah, totally. How do you uh, how do you like reach out to a model without sounding like a, a creep? People have asked this before. Um, <laughs> I guess well, you're just not a creep uh, then. It's not something you have to think well, about. <laughs> but. Well, it's I have the portfolio to back up what I'm talking about when I ask someone now. It'd be way harder if you didn't have anything. I think that if you're starting out, you definitely have to contact like family members or friends and shoot with them first and build up some kind of a small portfolio. Word of mouth helps too. Um, and then once you have something, then I feel like the models can trust that you have some type of skill level and you're not just a creepy dude asking for to shoot with them. Yeah. Um, I've gone and model mayhem. I don't know if you've heard of that site, but it's kind of like a casting type site. You pay to be a member and you can message different models. They have portfolios and you can do collaborations or paid work and stuff like that. But now it's, I don't even go on there anymore. It's just Instagram. Instagram's so easy because you can hit up the city you're in the location you're at and there's always someone that to work with and That's like awesome. i said as long as you have a portfolio it's it's pretty okay so one of the things that people kind of rag on sony for is their skin tones but <laughs> you seem to really pull out great skin tones with your sony cameras how do you do it <laughs> uh I hate this debate. I hate, I hate this debate because I actually think that Sony has a great color and it's not that way at all. I think it's just different and it's, you know, when you're shooting raw, you can do anything. I'm almost at the point where, you know, I've used so many different cameras. If you're shooting raw, color science is kind of a myth because you can make it anything you want, really. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to video, though, that's a little bit different. Video, color science does is a little bit more obvious, but when it's photography, I mean, you can mold it, shape it, do anything you want and pull out that color, shift the color tone to the way you want. Um, a lot of people ask me the same thing. How do you get these colors and whatnot? I am coming up with presets that I use. (laughs) Um, I've actually been working on that for like this whole pandemic time. I've been working on these presets. So for like the last four months, I've been crafting these and tweaking them to the way that I like to use them and and lately i've been working on the the website and stuff because i'm making a website to sell them on and and doing all the packaging and and everything involved in that that's kind of been i've been working on but you know i I, everyone gives sony hard time for their skin tones based off their old old cameras the old original a7 a7 ii um lately it's like have you shot with a zv1 just the regular standard profile Yes, that's one of the things I'm going to talk about. looks amazing. It's great. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. So I think Sony's doing some good moves there, and it's it's not that big, they, of a, big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> if a standard profile on the ZV-1 is anything to show for just the future for Sony, then it's on the right track. So Yeah, the only thing I would say about image, the image shift, so you know, it's typical that people say Canon has the best skin tones, the best color and, and everything. That's kind of just neutral, like it's just everyone knows that in the in the camera community. <laughs> but to me, it's not so much the color; it's the highlight roll off. 
And I feel like Canon has the best highlight roll off. And that matters to me more than color sometimes because you can shift color. If that high, mm -hmm. if those highlights are blown or they're just like a sharp cutoff, you can't really fix that. And I think that that's something that Sony could get better with if, if I'm critiquing Sony's look. <laughs> yeah, you can always tell, you know, if somebody is shooting on a Sony camera without any picture profiles, it's like the highlights just blow out like crazy and they yeah. just clip so hard. Like I remember uh, when Logan and Jake Paul were really blowing up, you could tell they were shooting everything. <laughs> just like they just turned on, they just bought a Sony camera and turned it on and hit record. That's like all they did. <laughs> you can tell because <laughs> it's just like the highlights well, blow like crazy. They have over 20 million subscribers. So I guess people don't really <laughs> care as much as we do. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not at all. Could care less. I shoot it. I, I guess one trick, if anyone's listening, um, and does shoot Sony is to shoot an HLG, HLG mm. three or HLG two is typically what I shoot all my videos in now, and you'll see that it has a lot more of a pleasing highlight roll off. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, you obviously have to learn how to kind of play with that format in post production. Um, yeah. So I actually hard. shot a I shot a video on about shooting HLG with Gerald Undone. Actually, we did a little collab. Um, because he knows more of the technical side of things. I just know what looks good and what works. So I just <laughs> I shoot shoot with that and I got him to explain what's going on. So apparently like um it's it turns into a log profile on the higher end, I guess. So that's why the highlights are easier to bring back. And I didn't I didn't realize that. So that's the hybrid log. Makes sense. Oh, gotcha. HLG. That makes sense. Yeah. So I got a question from uh, Twitter. It's from Gary, the everyday dad. He asked, um, why hasn't Lee purchased more GH5s in his career? <laughs> <laughs> I actually did have a GH5 once. I use it for an entire year. I love that camera. Um, the problem for is... the price, it's like... When, it's incredible. Oh, especially now. The problem yeah. is um, I was using it for YouTube stuff and... When you don't have the most reliable autofocus, it makes it really tough to shoot yourself. Yeah. And that's when I was kind of like, eh, do I give up, you know, 10-bit and 4K60 and amazing IBIS for autofocus? And for some reason, it still outweighs all of those features for YouTube stuff. Um, if I were shooting client yeah, videos really and I didn't have my, if I didn't have my C200 and I didn't want to dump a ton of money into going cinema i'd definitely pick the gh5 or even maybe like one of the black magic cameras in that price range to shoot just because they're so good for for what they are but that yeah, guy's totally. bought and price. sold like five or he's like bought five or six gh5s in his lifetime <laughs> <laughs> he really has um so are you happy with with how things are right now has the pandemic kind of been uh, a rough transition for you at first i was pretty scared because i was like okay i had all these jobs lined up and they're all canceled and i, I noticed a sharp decline in youtube viewership as well i don't know if you've noticed that mm -hmm. um which it's crazy because it's almost half half of what i would typically be getting in viewership so if i typically would would be getting you know 700 to 600,000 views a month 
it's down to like 350, 400,000 a month. It's crazy. And so yeah. that kind of got me worried a bit because that's my only revenue income right now besides, you know, affiliate stuff. And I was pretty worried, but then I was just like, I woke up one morning, I'm like, I got to do something. So I started reaching out to companies to do some more sponsored content. And between the sponsor content and the small amount of revenue that's coming in from YouTube and affiliate stuff, I've somehow been able to limp through these months. Um, and it's been okay. It was, it was stressful the first, like in March, I think, um, our government actually has like a, uh, they call it the CERB. It's like a Canadian emergency something or other. And they were giving $2,000 a month of, it's kind of like, uh, unemployment insurance type stuff. Um, yeah. which is really cool, but there's all these, um, like you have to qualify mm -hmm. and the qualifications are basically that you can't make any money in that time. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I personally couldn't live off $2,000 a month and I know lots of people couldn't. So I got to go out and still make money. Right. And because I'm making yeah. money, I'm, I don't qualify. So yeah, there's that, there's that, you know, hustle that. I think just is an instinctively inside of all of us to just put our butts in gear and figure out what to do, you know? And I think that like, if anything, it kind of gives us all an appreciation for the ability to have YouTube as a little side income. Otherwise we have nothing. So yeah, I think that, exactly. you know, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's going to make us all that. appreciate <laughs> I was going to say it, it's going to make us all appreciate when, uh, you know, hopefully if things get better and, uh, business is, is good again and, uh, the views are up and the revenue goes back to kind of normal and, you know, it's going to give us all a lot of perspective, which I think we need. So, and there's no guarantee. I mean, if you're a, a YouTuber, online content creator, it's, uh, it might, you know, if business is going good, it's no guarantee that it'll last, uh, forever. So you gotta you gotta really hustle at no matter what stage you're at. Yeah, hundred percent. So. You never know when your time's up, right? Like this this whole YouTube game is is so short. Like it's one of those things you got maybe ten, fifteen years. It's like it's like being a like someone in any type of sports, right? You only have a certain amount of time till your time's up. So make the best of what you can with what you have right now and just keep hustling. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't really have a lot to point to because YouTube as a whole has only been around for, you know, what, 13 years or something. So we don't True. know the longevity. I mean, there's still people. Really. Yeah. There's still people doing it. So there's Kai, Kai W is still just as active as ever. And, uh, Caleb Pike, he's been doing it for 10 years. Um, so, I mean, for me, I can point to Caleb and and be like, okay, well, he's been able to sustain this for a decade. So. True. But, you know, it's, there's still no guarantee. <laughs> also, YouTube in general, like, it could go away for some weird reason. I doubt it will, but it could. Google can do whatever they want. And they, yeah. Google, t Google tends to be pretty flippant on things. <laughs> Like they're like, hey, remember, uh, remember uh, this one app that we invented like three months ago? We're gonna kill it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think like do that uh, with YouTube, but you heard of Mixer, that streaming platform? 
Yeah, wasn't that what uh didn't um Ninja like leave Twitch yeah. to join Mixer? Yeah, so that was a Microsoft thing, I think. And they just canned it because it wasn't making enough money. <laughs> they were just like just eh, crazy. Never mind. And I, I think I saw on the news that Ninja just kind of went back to Twitch like nothing ever happened. <laughs> so he, he probably got a crazy paycheck to switch. Yeah, they got, and then like a year later, he's like, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, they got to keep their their contract money, I guess, or something like that. But it would suck for the smaller creators that built a following on there and just like cut. Because some of those people yeah. were probably making a living off of it. But don't you think they'll uh, kind of like what Vine was? You know, a lot of those guys they just hopped over to YouTube. You know, if, if you're on oh, Mixer, yeah. you're gonna go. You're gonna go over to Twitch, obviously. So Twitch is probably really happy right now. But yeah, your following will will be with you wherever you go. I mean, with with that being said, like you you have a following on Instagram, you got a following on Twitter, you got a following on YouTube. You know, is that part of your strategy or? Do you not think about it that way? You just kind of Instagram and YouTube or, you know? Um, I feel like my, like, I definitely feel like I have an obligation now that I wouldn't have had if I didn't have a following to constantly, you know, make content. And I think that that's kind of what drives you to do stuff anyway, right? Yeah. Um, outside of just wanting to be creative, you're doing it for, you know, your following for the people whether it's teaching them something or making something cool so they can maybe be inspired and do something the same. Yeah. Um, so for anybody who's listening to this and uh, they can relate to you, maybe, maybe they're a musician as well, or they have some, uh, you know, passion in photography, videography, what, you know, what do you say to up and coming YouTubers or, uh, Instagrammers, just content creators and, uh, you know, what's kind of your, your inspiration that you could pass on to the next generation? It's tough because everyone kind of says the same thing. And I'm sure everyone's even said this. And it's just kind of like, if you're thinking about doing it, just go out and do it. Don't come yep. up with, ex like, I just feel like everyone always comes up with, ex up with excuses and they say, I'm going to start it next month. Or I'm going to start it once I have this, or once I have this camera, then I can finally do YouTube. Yeah. Um, Everyone has a cell phone. I'm pretty sure everyone has an iPhone. And if you have an iPhone since 2015, it's shot 4K video. And, you know, <laughs> the camera's significantly good enough where you don't need to go out and spend a ton of money on a camera and just... And I think that the iPhone, especially the last couple generations, have amazing audio quality as well, where you don't even need to buy a mic if you didn't want to. But, um, yeah, I mean, everyone says the same thing. Just go out and do it. And who knows what can happen, right? Like, I had no idea I would be here four years ago at all. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. It's amazing. Do you think YouTube, like the land grab for uh, gear reviewers, tech reviewers, has uh, is it harder for people to start now on YouTube than when you started? Um. I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like everyone brings their own like unique vibe and style and experience to the table where it doesn't feel like it's oversaturated at all, which is weird yeah. because there's so much. Um, but I think that people are going to follow you based off the way you come across, like the way you 
review stuff, your style, like, um, look at potato jet. Like he just kind of took off because of his personality and the way he does stuff. And he yeah. did, he wasn't around when I was doing YouTube. Mm-mm. Same with Peter yeah, McKinnon. That's true. Yeah. I mean, McKinnon, I, I will say, yeah, McKinnon kind of, he really blew up kind of at the tail end of Casey Neistat kind of era. So it was great timing because yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people who loved Casey saw Peter, you know, and, and fell in love with that because it was like a little deeper, a little bit more of the f- the photo video side that, you know, for me as a filmmaker, I watched Casey and I wanted more of that like tutorial gear stuff and he just wouldn't do it because he, he wouldn't go too in depth. But Peter kind of took over for that. Yeah, Peter's um, more like the pro photographer vlogger and yeah. mixing vlogging with tutorials. See, I don't like vlogging. Do you? Do you like vlogging? Nah, no, I wanted to. I wanted to figure out how to do it, and I could never figure out how to make it natural and good. And my format is just the, what I've been doing now for the last couple of years. It's just, you know, comedy and a lot of editing you know that's that's what works best for me so yeah i i i agree it's it's tough for see i always looked at casey stuff and i he's a good storyteller he's maybe not the best cinematographer at all i'm pretty sure most people would agree with a lot of the way he shoots but his story is way more compelling than the video and i think that that's what people resonate more with and i think peter's also really good at storytelling as well i'm kind of it's funny because like a lot of people will talk to me. I've had people even say things to me like, oh, you're a filmmaker. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm a filmmaker because I feel like a filmmaker is also a good storyteller. And I feel like I'm more concerned about how this shot's going to look and, you know, how the lighting is, how the, the shot's going to look. And mm-hmm. I think for me, that's that's something that I need to get better at is doing more storytelling. And, you know, I think that that would also kind of fall into vlogging as well and i and when i do vlog things it's always like maybe a photo shoot i'm doing but it's never like a story i'm not building a story around that vlog and i think that that's something i might have to get over for the look of for the sake of the look (laughs) of the video because like i've heard them talk before it's like flip that camera on because something's happening right then and there and film it where i'm like uh i missed a shot because i didn't have my nd filter set right and you know and and (laughs) I really focus more on the the look of everything, and that's probably my uh, biggest. Well, you're a cinematographer and a photographer. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes you great so. for for the photo people and uh, cinematographers. I mean, I don't know. There's value both ways because you're going to go more in depth talking about those types of things than than the other guys will. But you know, you kind of have to be. If you want to be like that, you have to maybe accept that, you know, maybe it won't get as many views as theirs because it's not as like, not everybody is going to be interested in it. Whereas Peter and Casey, they have a huge audience of people who aren't even filmmakers at all. They they just enjoy their content. 100%. Most of them love the vlog. Yeah, exactly. And they don't even care about the rest of it. Yeah, I've I've thought about that a lot. Like... You know, David Dobrik, the way he shoots, there's like not even a microphone on his camera and it's just running gun, but it's all about the story and the content. It's like, man, I've, if I picked a different niche to, to like film YouTube videos with, like, 
the the bar for quality is so much lower for other uh genres but i don't know if i could ever yeah, do that because i'm too much of a dork like i'm i'm too i am too nerdy about that stuff and that's why i love yeah talking about cameras and i think so. it's fine it's it's a different audience that's the difference we have a completely different yeah. audience where they appreciate the quality and that's why they're there yeah do you think um you think our our audience the the filmmaking photography audience like the the bar for quality is set higher than than others even though there's lower there's lower view counts <laughs> it's just like of course do you ever get ripped to shreds because... about quality <laughs> That's what I was about to say. I'm like, I said, of course it matters because those people are the first ones in the comment section to tell you something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. The audio's off. Yeah. The lighting's bad on this. It's like I, I did this one shoot and uh people pick up on everything, man. Like I, I did this one shoot where it was just a, a photo shoot, but I had an ND filter on my camera the whole time because I also wanted to shoot some B-roll with my camera while I was doing the photos. And so I had an ND filter on for the entire shoot, like taking photos with an ND filter on. And I personally don't really care. I mean, it, you know, it maybe changes the image a little bit, but everyone was like, why are you taking photos with an ND filter on? You're doing portraits and you don't need an ND filter. And I'm just like, <laughs> it was on because I was shooting video at the same time. So it's just funny <laughs> that people would point that out and make a big deal about it. And I'm just like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> And you, I think you had that but, too when you're sh talking about non-Fuji related stuff too, right? You have some Fuji fanboys. The fanboys are the worst no matter what camera it is. Fuji's <laughs> particularly harsh though. I've heard you say that before. It's like, <laughs> out of all the camera companies, they can be a little uh, a little much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what it is. Um it's like a superior obviously. superiority thing <laughs> because <laughs> they have this x trans sensor that no one else has or something or the colors or the film simulations or whatever and i don't know the i think body. everyone yeah i think everyone wants to think that th what they're shooting with is the best otherwise they wouldn't be shooting with it that was one thing that uh in my conversation with gary from the everyday dad that he said that i really loved he said our job not only is to review the product, but it's also to give people validation on their purchase. Oh yeah. And I was like, I've, ne I've never heard that before, but it's like people will watch the video of a camera that they already own just to get validated and, and hear us say, you, you made a good choice. This, this is a good camera. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. It's uh, I've actually talked about that before with people where it's like people will come in just to make sure that they made the right choice, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, look look what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, this this is the best thing. I'm so glad I bought this. <laughs> yeah, because there's not many people in our normal lives that we can have these conversations with because exactly. most people don't know about cameras or care. So, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all. It's, and it's also entertainment. I, I watch... You know, I watch everybody's videos, even if it's the same camera. It's like, I'm just interested to see what everybody says about it. So, And you might pick something up that you didn't know your camera could do. Yep. Totally. Well, I think we're coming to a close here. It's been about an hour and uh, I 
I really appreciate you taking the time, Lee, to come on the Golden Hour podcast. Um, you know, what what's going on right now for you? Like, what are some things that people could be looking out for on your YouTube channel and, um, you know, everything that just Lee has got the, going all on? All the things? All the things? Uh, yeah, I'm just... <laughs> Working away on content, like I said, I got presets coming out soon, which is kind of Sweet. exciting because I've I've never made any product or even merch to sell, so it's kind of my first time selling something based off awesome. requests from people, and yeah. uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm I have no idea when that's going to come out, but it'll probably be closer to the end of July. I also don't know when this podcast is coming out, it's but coming maybe out. it'll be out around the same time. So yeah, so just so you guys know, we're recording this July second, it's coming out July seventh. So if anybody thinks that I record these like way ahead of time, I don't. <laughs> so it's impressive. <laughs> Fast turnaround. Some during a uh, coronavirus, I will say I was able to book a ton of great creators because everybody was home doing nothing. So I feel like <laughs> a lot of a lot of podcasts uh were being recorded during that time when everybody was on lockdown because it was like I got nothing going on, might as well do a podcast. So I did have like, I think I had like four weeks. I was four weeks ahead for a while. And then literally just last week, I kind of got back on to one a week. <laughs> so That's good. Got to crank them out. You typically so every, do one a week? Yeah, I'll usually, if I get, I think I'm going to do, uh, we've got um, Chris Nichols next week. Nice. So from uh, DP Camera Review, another mm -hmm. fellow Canadian. Yeah, All he's on Canadians, the other side man. of Canada, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is funny how Americans like. It's like, oh, you're you're all from Canada, right? It's like no, Canada's like super big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like a he's like a three day drive from here. <laughs> so that's awful. Yeah, that's like that's where I'm from. Like, it took me three days to drive from Nashville. So you've been in Nashville. Yeah, you love Nashville, don't you? Yeah, I love Nashville. Nashville's amazing. Yeah. I think we yeah, we connected on that. I I love it. I miss it. There's a lot of great things about that I, I miss uh being in California. But obviously being here is great too. I get the beach and the mountains mm -hmm. and great weather. So uh Yeah, it's hard to know which one you'd want to choose over the other because they're both great. Yeah. Well, everybody go follow Lee on uh his YouTube channel, Lee Zavitz. Um, and then uh, do you have a website as well where people can? Yeah, don't go to it because it hasn't been updated in a while. So just go on Instagram. <laughs> it's also Lee Zavitz. And you can follow Perfect. me on Twitter. It's Twitter's reverse, though. It's Zavitz Lee because I had Lee Zavitz and then somehow it got hacked and then I was kicked out of it and lost it. So what? Try to figure that one out, fix that one for you. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> well, everybody go follow Lee and uh, be on the lookout for those presets. You know, like we were, like I was saying in the uh, conversation, Lee has really dialed in the Sony color. And I think if you guys are, especially are Sony shooters, you're going to want to get these presets. So um, is that what they're for? Is that what they're designed for? Uh, yeah, they work for any camera, but they're highly dialed in for the way I shoot with Sony. Uh, they also work great. Actually, you know what? I think they just work great with any camera that uses a Sony sensor, to be honest, because they also look good on Fuji as well. Yeah, perfect. But, uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. We'll have to have you on again. Um, and, yeah, thanks again for being on. Talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Appreciate it.
I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Lee Zavitz. Again, make sure to follow him on Instagram and YouTube. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it or sharing the podcast in general on your social media accounts. It would mean the world to us. I'd like to thank you guys for listening every single week to the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by Polar Pro. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays, and we'll see you next Tuesday.